Kane's Country Podcast is back again, and hockey is being played still. My name's Brett Finger. I'm with Andrew Schnicker again this week. Andrew, how are you? I'm good. I'm definitely uh, significantly more optimistic about this whole thing than I was the last time we did this. Yeah, I am too. And we should all be optimistic about this episode because Ryan Hankel is here. Ryan, hello. Hello. I'm uh, new here at Kane's Country. I've been working about two months with you guys, and it's just been a really good time. It's been a really good time. And this is your first time on the podcast, so welcome. So yeah, hockey. Official training camp 2.0 is underway. We or The Hurricanes just finished their first week of on-ice training camp. Uh, they'll be off-ice on Friday and Monday. Um, impressions... Thoughts from Training Camp 2.0, the early days of hockey being back. Ryan and I have been alternating days this week going to um, camp. It's just, I mean, for me, just for starters, it's just been really good to be back. First of all, getting out of the house and actually doing something, but also being back at the rink, seeing the sights and sounds. It's, um, It's a little different than what we're used to. There's a lot of protocols in place we have to um obviously wear masks and sit they've got us up on the ledge lounge on the second floor with seats marked six feet apart for us to sit and we have to do a um sign a symptom waiver and get our temperature taken on the way in by uh shout out to mike brown one of the pr guys for the hurricanes who has been handling all that for us and the player interviews are still over zoom but it's just been it's been really good to get back, really good, you know, to hear just the pucks hitting the boards and sticks on the ice and all those sounds. And um, just to see, too, just how – well, I'm sure we're going to get a lot more into this in a minute, but just how deep this team really is at all positions right now. Absolutely, Ryan. Yeah, it's just – with the depth, it's just insane. It's eight NHL defensemen on the team. It's just almost unheard of going into the playoffs – Think about last year's team. DeHaan was injured coming in. He came back, and then immediately TVR goes down. Flurry stepping up for mm-hmm. both times for those positions. And it's just kind of like you think about the injuries constantly happening in the playoffs. It's always where the most brutal injuries seem to happen. And now Canes have eight defensemen. So no matter who they choose to go with, if something happens, they still have that depth. They still have eight defensemen. They still have been Jake Bean in the works, too. God forbid three people go down, but... It's just the depth, and even on forwards, like they have, there's 13 NHL forwards that all played on the wrong team this year, and they still have the Black Aces, uh, Lawrence McCormick, Suzuki, if need be. But to have 13 forwards going and have the ready extra one there, it's just still so good to see for the team. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting as we as we move move towards playing games because obviously it it was talked about even before adding Vatanen and Shea at the trade deadline, a a really deep blue line with guys in Charlotte who have the ability to step in and perform. And you're going into this exhibition game in Washington or not in Washington against Washington. Um, And then to the play in rounds, uh, you don't even need those AHL defensemen at this point because they're so loaded um, as you two alluded to. Um, It's, it's, you know, after uh, less than a week, four days of on ice, um, any standouts, anything that you've noticed? Uh, we can start with you, Ryan. Anything that you've noticed from 
the on ice portion of camp anything notable uh i think i i'm a big fan of flurry so i've been watching his game his skating just looks really good he looks fast he looks good on his edges i think he could be a good candidate to for the third pairing granted even if second pairing if need be i think flurry is a really good shot of being one of the defensemen they go with i really like what i've seen from nino and dezingle they're both i feel are like the 13th man they're almost the odd man out and they're both, I think, vying for that position. So they both look really strong throughout camp, despite having, you know, maybe a little bit of down years. So I think they have something to prove. I really like what I've seen for both of them. And obviously, Ajo's fetch Tavo just, you know, look awesome yeah. as they did going into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Andrew, we talked about this last week about guys who are, you know, potentially could have something to gain from this time off. And I mentioned Nino, you mentioned a Zingle. Um, I guess we can kind of shift towards really the roster construction um, as we enter this really interesting phase of hockey. Um, who are the you know the forwards at the bottom of the lineup? Who makes the cut, and who do you see playing into a role that that is significant of those kind of outside of the obvious Aho, Teravine, and Sveshnikov groups? Well, what's been notable to me is that even though, I mean, obviously he played two games, but he played two hell of a games at the end of the season with Morgan Geeky, but Geeky really has had, Rod has pretty much kept Geeky in a consistent spot these first four days with Warren Fogle and Jordan Martinuk. Obviously it's early, but it seems to me like Geeky has a good chance to play. It's kind of funny because... The two guys that you mentioned in Nino and Dezingle, I think, like, in my mind, those might be the guys that are back and forth between playing and not playing are kind of the big battle right now. And it's funny because whichever one plays is probably going to end up on the second line with um, Vincent Trocek and Martin Natchez. But... I mean, they don't play that similar of a style of game, but they both kind of fill a similar role as scorers. So it's interesting that you're talking about two second-line players that might be flipping back and forth between in and out of the lineup. But the thing is, they they both bring scoring. I would, so I think it makes sense that you're looking at sitting one of them over like a Jordan Martinuk or a Brock McGinn who bring very different things in terms of you know, that physicality and energy that Brock McGinn is known for that's going to be important in a playoff series or that energy, especially from Martinook. And, um, you know, I think he's going to be huge from an off ice just being on the bench during games for energy yeah. because, remember, they're going to be playing without fans. That's something Rod Brindamore has talked about a lot, that this is kind of a quiet team and they're going to need to be more vocal. So I think a Jordan Martinook who's – not a stretch to say he's the most vocal guy on the team is going to be value and valuable in that regard. So I really think right now that the guys that you're looking at in terms of that battle for playing and not playing are probably Nino and Dezingle. Yeah. Um, and you break up, you bring up a good point with, with Nino and, and Ryan Dezingle. Uh, you, you see the, really you have two lines that are, I think more or less pretty much set uh, outside of the obvious first line. 
you have McGinn, Stahl, Williams. Um, that seems like a pretty safe bet as something that's going to be around for a bit. Um, they have experience together. They have playoff experience together. That's a that's a commodity that you know that you have a, a line that'll work, uh, especially with what they bring in a playoff series. And then you have the fourth line with Fogel and Martinuk, and seemingly what's what's looking like geeky maybe in the middle. It's it's the same kind of play that maybe isn't as impactful over the course of a 82 or in this case 68 game regular season, but in the playoffs. You're talking about two lines there that are going to be hugely impactful because they need to have good series and they need to bring what they have brought uh, historically uh, into this New York series to free up in a lot of ways that that first line. And then as we were talking about that second line centering or centered by Trocek, um, it's going to be really interesting. And like you said, the guys like McGinn, and Martinuk and Fogel are going to be so important in in a playoff series because of what energy and physicality they bring. And you see a guy like Warren Fogel in last year's playoffs, his game was just so perfectly, you know, or just so perfect for, for the playoffs and the way that he plays. He plays so hard. He goes to corners. He's overly physical. He's not afraid to to you know, put himself at risk uh, to, to make plays and to create sparks for his team. So those guys are so, so important. Um, shifting to the blue line, it's it's a bit of a logjam, like we talked about a little bit ago. And the makeup of the D, of the decor right now is interesting in, in the skill sets. Um, so you have nine defensemen, eight excluding Bean, um, which really isn't fair to him. But being realistic, it's really eight. Um, who plays? What does the defense look like when games are being played? Yeah, I um, with us doing our roster bubble stories that all three of us have done, I did a pretty comprehensive deep dive on this. I think, like I said there, I don't think we really need to spend any time here on Slavin and Hamilton if those two are healthy. They're playing, um, especially given his ability. He played a lot, actually, on the penalty kill after coming over for the Hurricanes, his skating ability, and the fact that he's played for the Rangers. He knows them. They gave up a first-round pick for him. Um, He's part of their future plans. I think Brady Shea is extremely light. I'd be very surprised if he's not playing. Yeah, for Uh, sure. And his partner who was a guy, given the fact that he hasn't played for the Hurricanes yet, would have been a guy I thought was a key candidate to be an odd man out, and I think he still might be. But And, yeah, Rod Brindamore talked um, yesterday, or I guess when you guys listen to this podcast, it'll be Wednesday, about Sammy Vatanen and about, you know, there's he hasn't played for the Hurricanes yet, and so they need to get him acclimated now because there obviously can't be a learning curve once you get into a playoff series, but just talking about what he brings as a right shot power play defenseman. And he, he does, I mean, he's averaged um, 16 power play points per full season. He's been to two conference finals with Anaheim, although all but three of these defensemen have actually played in at least the conference finals. So he'll be an interesting guy to watch Jake Gardner, who if we had done this a month or two ago, 
or if the season had ended a month or two before it did, probably would not be in consideration. But as you've pointed out on this podcast before, Brett, he was playing much better down the stretch, starting to really look like that solid offensive puck-moving defenseman that the Hurricanes paid for. Um, Then you've got a couple guys who I think are definitely – or not definitely. I mean, Joel Edmondson has a really good case to play. He is – Physical, he's good on the penalty kill. You like that in a playoff series. Won a Stanley Cup last year. Yeah. I think through no fault of his... I mean, I said this on Twitter earlier today, but Trevor Van Riemsdyk has got to be the best number eight defenseman in the NHL right now. He's really... He's not bad. I just don't have that same argument um, that I do for the others of that one specific thing he does really well that leads me to think he should play. And the guy that I have not mentioned yet that I saved for last because he just was playing so well down the street. I mean, there were, I think, four of the last seven games he played over 20 minutes. He was playing so well down. There were games down the stretch where he was probably the best defenseman. Yeah. And that's Hayden Fleury. I really think that Hayden Fleury should be playing um, – if your group of six is Slavin, Hamilton, Shea, Vatnin, Gardner, and Flurry, you're going to have to have somebody playing their offside because you've got four lefties and two righties there. But I think that's not a huge deal because Flurry and Gardner have played together at different points in the season. In fact, the past couple of days in camp, Rod's had them together. Shea played the left in New York, but he's played the right pretty much out of necessity with Hamilton and Pesci both out when he came over and I actually asked him about that on his zoom call this morning about playing his offside or his natural side. He said he's obviously more comfortable on the left, but he's okay with playing both. And he even said there's pros and cons that he likes playing on the right in the offensive zone. So while there might be more reticence with all of these defensemen to play guys on their offside, I think it's still worth doing so to be playing your best six guys. And to me, I think Hayden Flurry has to be part of that group based on the end of the season and based on what we've seen from him in camp so far. And on the defenseman, uh, actually, Vodnin was getting power play time today, uh, training camp. He was on power play too. They were swapping him in and out and out with Gardner. So they're giving him looks. They're trying to see if he can be that second power play force that they, you know, they really need. And also, interesting enough, Geeky was on the second power play unit as well. Ooh. Yeah, I think uh, one of the goals he was out there for was was a power play goal in Pittsburgh. Um, he was a net front guy, and I've talked about this before, but with with the addition of, of Trocek and now you have Geeky coming up, Natchez, I think for, for a long time a guy like Jordan Stahl was relied upon so much to be a power play guy in addition to what really he's best at, and there are going to be situations where Jordan is, is on the ice during the power play. That will still be a thing that happens at times, but for, for him to be in a role where he is a, you know, a heavy four checking, uh, guy who, you know, you're saving him some minutes off of the power play to put him on the penalty kill where he, where he'll be front and center, uh, probably with McGinn before the Ajo Teravinen group. Um, it's, I think, for, for him, a guy who plays his best games 
in in big games like the postseason last year. You see him after the injury that or the concussions that he had last year. He came back and he had a much bigger step. Uh, I'm interested in seeing what he looks like because he's coming off of this long layoff and he's coming into these big pressure situations. I think it's going to be a place where Jordan Saul thrives like he has so often uh, in his career up to this point. And moving on to the award announcements, some interesting developments, uh, I think is fair to say. I think for the most part, we got the same, you know, what we pretty much expected from from all of the award finalists a, a really strong list for for pretty much every category but it was one category in particular that confused many people and i think both of us or not both of us all three of us included the lady bing finalists so among that group was austin matthews not in that group was jacob slavin this caused mass hysteria on Twitter, as most things do. Uh, is it justified? Is is the hysteria justified, Andrew? I mean, I think so. I mean, you look at the harassment incident and the nameplate incident with Austin Matthews. I know. I mean, I know that a lot of times this award gets voted on based on like offensive production relative to, I guess, not taking a lot of penalties. But I don't see how you can vote Austin Matthews for um, a gentlemanly conduct and sportsmanship award based on those things. And Greg Wyshynski, who was one of the PHWA writers who said, um, of which there were many, including um, Sarah Simeon, Chris Johnston, Arpan Basu, and um, Craig Custance were all people that I saw say that they had Slavin first. Wyshynski had him third, but he pointed out Slavin played close to 1,600 minutes in a shutdown role and had 10 penalty minutes. 10. Yeah. There's been one defenseman to capture the Lady Bing since 1954, and it was Brian Campbell. And you're going to, but Slavin has that. So, but even notwithstanding Slavin getting gypped, I'm sure there's even more people. Who deserve that word award more than Austin freaking Matthews? Yeah, it's just like you think about it, and it's like a lot of time you say it is voted based off offensive players, based off like the production versus like the Matthews. But like, if a defenseman is as effective, I feel like more defensemen should get nominated. Not even just Jacob Slavin in general, but like more defensemen. It's defensemen always are ending up having to take penalties, like for a reason or another. Just you know, like a hold or a slash whatever just because it's just the difficulty of controlling some of these boards in the league but Slavin had the 10 penalty minutes four of which were over, puck over the glass penalties and he's so one was like a crazy like getting... mid-air yeah. bat like it was yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> it's like you look at this and he's so effective at getting the puck off of players other players sticks just like with his own stick like not even you know poke checking slashes hits barely any of that he's just so effective with so little contact it's just like 1600 plus minutes and then jacob slavin i don't think he's ever said a curse word in his life you know <laughs> yeah um how did nicholas lindstrom never win a lady bang how is that a thing uh, that happened like how how did uh, that happen you know uh, I, I don't really i don't get the award like i think i've i've long given up 
trying to understand it, but it's always good for I a think laugh a lot of people, every year. I mean, I think a lot of people, like a lot of the professional hockey associations, kind of look at this one as a kind of a who cares type. Yeah. I see a lot of people on Twitter just kind of saying like, who cares? Like people are just like, who cares about the award? This is like one that nobody really argues for or against. You know? <laughs> Nobody's coming out and saying, my gentleman, I yeah. say unto you, sir, is more gentlemanly <laughs> than yours. But I don't, well, I don't think people would have normally don't have a problem and wouldn't have a like I don't have a problem with Nathan McKinnon or Ryan O'Reilly. I don't think anybody would have a problem or would be saying anything if you didn't do something as egregious as give Austin Matthews yeah. a top three, so many top three votes for that. Again, given what, given his conduct, I mean you, I, I just can't Maybe. wrap my head around it. I mean, I, I, it's for obviously none of us are voters, obviously, but <laughs> thinking about like being in the situation where you're voting, I know it's supposed to not include, it's supposed to be on ice stuff. And obviously when you're talking about Austin Matthews and even Ryan O'Reilly, uh, more in the past, uh, and obviously the oh, situation, yeah. um, I don't immediately think gentlemanly conduct necessarily um yeah i forgot about o'reilly yeah so um it's supposed to be all on ice stuff obviously um and i i guess that's what they 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 voted based on but man it's tough to not recognize the stuff that happened off the ice and be like is he really a, a pillar of gentlemanly conduct so I mean, for the rest of the awards, though, just to stir up some controversy, who would you guys pick, say, for, like, the Ted Lindsay Calder leaving Master St. Jack Adams that we've seen so far? Um, so, man. like, start with, like, the Ted Lindsay. Between Drysaddle, Panarin, and McKinnon, who do you guys got? Oh, who would we pick between the three finalists, you mean? Who would you say, yeah? I think I'd take Panarin. I would, too. I mean... I know that, you know, people want the MVP to be from a playoff team and the Rangers while they're I mean, in this yeah, return to play, obviously, as we all know, technically finished outside. But I think Panarin had such a great season, and I think he elevated the rest of that team so much. I think he he's deserving of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I would also go with Panarin, you know, angry comments aside, like McKinnon, elite elite player yes dry title and insane amount of points and he was mostly playing he most got most of his points away from mcdavid and you know he just had a really breakout year but i feel like in terms of importance to their own team i feel like panarin really was the outlier there i feel like panarin was the most valuable for his team out of the three yeah i definitely i definitely agree with that and it's ultimately it's about it's about value right um do you, so this is an interesting one too. We've we got the Calder, which is a pretty heated Hughes versus McCarr debate, <laughs> and Dominic Kubalik, who scored thirty goals, but he's also like thirty five. So um, <laughs> it's like a Michael Grabner Calder final. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> um, Hughes or McCarr, Ryan. Uh, I I go I'm gonna say Quinn Hughes. Okay. I have Hughes because 
I feel like Hughes and Makar have similar stat productions, but I feel like Hughes doesn't have as much as Makar has. You know, Makar gets the you know, first power play, granted, with a McKinnon, Landis Cog, Randon, but he also plays with better defensemen like Sam Girard or whatnot. Where Quinn Hughes, I feel like that Vancouver defense is not great when I look at it on paper comparatively, and I feel like Quinn Hughes is doing more with less. Andrew? I would agree with that, yeah. Um, even if Makar is the better player, which I don't know, I'm not saying I know that he is, but I, I agree with the standpoint. It's kind of, I guess, um, similar to Panarin, just in the level of value that Hughes brings to his team and the way he elevates everyone else, I think, makes him deserving of it. Uh, I'll take Kale McCarr, just just because. Just because it's so close for me, and you both picked Hughes, so I I feel like I have to pick McCarr. Both are unbelievable. I mean, both are unbelievable players. I mean, it's it's mind blowing to watch those two players play end to end. Like their skating, their vision, their ability to create offense. Um, I think something that stood out a lot from for Hurricanes player this year was Dougie Hamilton kind of roaming the offensive zone um and when your McCarr does that so well too it's uh it's it's pretty incredible um jack adams i mean it's it's sometimes tough to say on coaching but there's bruce cassie from boston john tortorella from columbus and elaine vigneault from philadelphia any opinions I'm going Tortorella. I think everybody expected um, Columbus to be a lot of people, myself included, maybe with what they lost after last year with losing Panarin and Bobrovsky, losing um, Dush- a lot of people thought Columbus might be terrible. And Tortorella pretty much had that team in the hunt all year, you know, just use what he had to do. Um, as well as he could, and I don't think any of us would be surprised to see Columbus beat Toronto in this up in their upcoming qualifier series. I think it's going to be a really good matchup. So, if if the thing you think about with Jack Adams is a coach doing more with than expected with what he has, then I, I think it's got to go to Tortorella. Yeah, it's between for me it was between Tortorella and Vigneault. Like Cassidy, yeah, the Bruins are great. But, mm-hmm. you know, I question how much is Cassidy like, yeah, a bad coach will bring a team down and a good coach can raise them up. But that Bruins team is so stacked that I feel, you know, not to take anything away from Cassidy, but I feel like, you know, another coach could fill a similar role for them because they're just so deep. But Tortorella, yeah, like turn that Columbus team around. Nobody expected them. And then all the injuries they had, the key injuries, Seth Jones, Zach Wierenski, Aubrey Bjorkstrand, you know, Cam Atkinson even missed time. It's they kept getting decimated and going down. Everyone's like, well, this is where the ship falls. And then they're still there. Yeah. And Elaine Vigneault, like that Philly team on a dime turn, like from last year to this year, they're just so good. And I feel like Elaine Vigneault is a huge part of that, especially their penalty kill is and their power play. Their special teams just clicking. Like that Flyers team has just come together and meshed so perfectly almost. And I feel like it's really tough for me between the two, but I feel like John Tortorella has done more with the injuries and the lower expectations to bring him there. I feel like for me, the Jack Adams is more about like what Andrew said, doing more with less as the coach. 
I feel like Tortorella is more deserving of it in that aspect than the other two. Agreed. I'm, I'm with you both on that. So, on to the Twitter questions. So, we, we went to Twitter in search of questions this week for the end of the episode, and we got some good ones. So, let's see how many we can get to here. Um, are we all ready? Yeah. Um, yeah, we got every – I want to thank everybody who sent questions. Um, if we didn't get to it, don't get to yours. Our apologies. But um, we will likely try to do this with uh, some subsequent podcasts, so you will have another chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we didn't get to you, we just don't like you. That's all that is. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, first one is from Danny Z on Twitter. Do you think we trade a defenseman given the flat cap for a few years? So obviously he's referring to the depth that Carolina has on the blue line and the obviously the addition of Brady Shea at the deadline, another long-term defensive contract. The Canes have a few of them, and there's going to be a flat cap for the next couple of years. So, Andrew, you want to tackle that first? Yeah, I was actually looking at this, and I read um, on Cap Friendly, and I read a good article from uh, Sarah Sivian the other day that kind of went into this a little bit. But if you look at next season with the flat cap, the Canes are really fine because they have about $9 million in cap space. But um, they have both goalies, five defensemen, and... Nine forwards, not including uh, Morgan Geeky on this page, under contract. And then when you look, um, Warren Fogle and Hayden Fleury are both RFAs. I would expect both of those to get done on maybe two-year deals for no more than $3 million each um, without too much trouble. And that would still leave you with a little space to add a couple more forwards, you know, if he's willing to take a discount and he wants to play another year um, based on just the strange nature of the finish to this year, I think you could fit Justin Williams into that picture. And then, because uh, other than that, um, if you've got your 60 and you and forwards, you would need a couple more. But really, when you look at it, they've got like their top six locked in. So that's not an issue. So this offseason, not necessarily. The next offseason, yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe, because then you have 16 players under contract. Obviously, that becomes 18 if you do more than one-year deals for Fleury and Bogle. And they have um, about $32 million in cap space, assuming that cap is still flat, which if part of next season has to be played without fans, I would say that's likely. Um that offseason, you've got some UFAs. Ryan Dezingle, I don't know if they would try to bring him back. Guys like Brock McGinn and Jordan Martinook, they shouldn't cost you a lot. You also have Dougie Hamilton as a UFA. Andre Svechnikov is an RFA. And both James Reimer and Peter Morazic are UFAs, so you will need to figure out something in goal. So that is when I could see them looking to move out one of these bigger defensive contracts, especially if Flurry continues his progression and is on a cheap, cheaper deal or a guy like Jake Bean Jake is ready Bean, to step yeah. in. Uh, the He's one thing I didn't get too. to is this summer. Uh, 
Joel Edmondson, Sammy Vatten, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk are all UFAs. I cannot see any of them being brought back. The other thing to keep in mind is the what impact the expansion draft is going to have. I obvious For obvious reasons, I cannot see the Canes being able to strike any kind of deal for protection this time around, given who's going to be making the selections for Seattle. But I could definitely see... I could see either this summer or next, especially if he continues to play better than trying to, f- so that they have some more suitors and don't have to retain a ton of salary. Maybe trying to find a taker for Gardner's cap hit, especially mm-hmm. if you have Slavin, Shea, and Flurry all on the left side, which we'll get to in the next question. So, long answer short, this summer they could do it, but they don't have to. The next summer they're probably going to have to. Yeah, I think that's... I'm going to be a doomsayer on this one. Oh, uh, I don't, I don't see how we keep uh, Jake Bean. I'm going to be honest with, with everyone. Yeah, it's with the expansion draft. You know, protecting either eight skaters or the five, the six and three or whatever. It's like you're really only going to protect Hamilton if you resign Dougie Hamilton, Hamilton Slavin, and then is it Pesci or Bean? Like you can't. You do. Would you rather leave There's Pesci no or you? Would I mean, you you can't you can't pick. Being over Pesci, yeah, or really like, even so, Shea, or like, yeah, it's like proven point. defenseman. It's like yes, prospect. Yes, he looks amazing and great. But like at this point, you just there's not the space to protect him with the expansion draft coming up, and you know Francis drafted him. He knows him. That's that's the big. I think that's a big part of it too. For the reason you said about Francis, also. There's no connection really to this player by the current regime. I mean, Tom Dundon wasn't here. Don Waddell was here, but he was not the general manager when, when Jake Bean was drafted. So there's not this connection to him to try to make good on the asset. There's no real emotional tie, if you if you want to say that, um, of a GM trying to hang on and, and prove that he was the right guy to pick and all that. Um which I don't think anybody's questioning about Jake Bean because he's been so excellent his first two years. Um, and, and, and I wrote about it a couple of days ago about the the roster depth that the Hurricanes are going to have. I mean, Jake Bean's not going to get a chance. Uh, it's I mean, it's not his fault, but he's not going to get a chance because there's just so much in the way of him having a chance. Maybe, you know... If you're talking next year and you know you bring Pashi back, maybe maybe Bean competes for like the last spot on the blue line, but it's uh it's really tight and it's tough for me to see where he fits in moving forward. Um unless something drastic changes and they haven't really given him much of an opportunity to do anything at the NHL level to this point. So it's it's tough for me. All right, moving along. This one's from this one's from Shlomo. Coming off of a long break and with very little wiggle room in this play-in series, will Morazic start? And if so, how short will his leash be? Ryan. Um, I definitely think we'll go with Morazic to start. I think the Hurricanes will definitely want Morazic to start in net. As terms of how short his leash will be. That's an interesting question. Brendan Moore's never been 
a guy to pull his goalie, sort of say. And even last year in the playoffs, when, you know, Washington, you know, shelled him, there was like a few games where they put up like five goals or whatnot on Mrazic. They still kept him in. They still kept going back. And it wasn't until he got injured that they brought McElhinney in. So, I mean, they've been splitting the, the work, but I feel like Mrazic has that energy that they're going to want more of because they don't have the crowd in them, that energy he can bring. Fans, yeah. So I feel like Mrazic will just have the full go of it, is my opinion on it. Andrew? Yeah, I agree with that. I do think that Mrazic will start, and I think he's the guy that you want. I'm going to say I think that his leash is um, going to be shorter than probably Brendan Moore's had in the past, if only because, A, I mean, say, I mean Curtis McElhinney did last year too, but James Reimer played very well this year. Also, this series, and um, Brett, you know what I'm talking about too because you know you and I are both um, big baseball guys. It's a best of five. Yeah. Like every game in this first round series, like last year, like Ryan mentioned, Mrazek didn't have a very good first two games, but it was just, oh, you know, you lose the first two in the road. You've still got games at home. You've still got a little you can wiggle room. to lose another one after that. You lose the first two games in it's... a best of five, and it's the same as being in a 3-0 hole. You can't lose yeah. again. So, I like, if they come out in game one and Morozik gives up three, four goals on 25 shots and the Hurricanes lose, I would not be surprised at all to see James Reimer start game two. I totally agree with you. I think I think Morozik's the guy, like both of you said. Um. I think he's earned that over his time with the team, and I think he, I think all bets are off though once 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 the games start because man, like every every goal of a five game series, like it's like in baseball, like every run of a, like a wild card playing game or or a five game uh, divisional series or whatever, it's it's magnified because you don't get many, you don't, you don't get as many do overs or, or opportunities to, to make good on it or, or, or come back from it. It's, it's tough. And I think everything's going to be weird because of how these series are going to be played. Um, I do like Morazic's energy. I think that that can help in, in similar ways to you talked about earlier in the podcast. Oh yeah. Jordan Martinuk is a guy who is so valuable uh, going into this playoff series, maybe in the same kind of way, though different more in how he plays with Morazic. Um, he provides that same kind of energy, but what happens if it's too much and he's too aggressive in game one and you're down one Oh, and you lose another one, your backs are against the wall and you want to go with, another a veteran guy who is much more calm. It's the same kind of deal with McElhaney last year, really. Next question. Which player do you think will have the most surprising impact in the postseason? That one's from Sawyer on Twitter. That's a good one. Mm. Ryan? You know, I was thinking geeky, but, you know, the NHL's all-time points-per-game leader wouldn't be That's surprising for him. You know, everyone expects, everyone that, expects of course, that, yeah. But in all honesty, I think Geeky will really – I think Geeky has a chance to shine here. Like he's playing with Fogel, and we all know Fogel shows up for the playoffs. But Geeky just 
it's just something about him. He's just a compete level. He goes to the net. I feel like he can just and on the fourth line, like if he gets paired up against, you know, a, a weaker depth chart on like the Rangers, I feel like he can do a lot of damage. I feel like he's just come into like this role and he's just I feel like he's gonna thrive in it. I honestly feel I just have this feeling that Geeky's gonna really do something special. You took my answer. Um <laughs> be, and, and it's sorry. Uh, it's a really good answer because I'll add on to what you're saying. He has a history of the postseason, man. Like last year in Charlotte, he was like he had a good rookie year. Um as like a middle six center. He was a point per game in the playoffs. He was huge in their Calder Cup run. In the Western Hockey League with Tri City, he was playoff MVP. They won a championship. Um at every level he's been at, he has been a really good playoff performer. Um, so if there's a guy that you're looking for uh, outside of the obvious guys, why not Morgan Geeky? Um, another guy that I, I, I think is going to be great is Brady Shea. I think that he's going to have an excellent playoff run. I think that I saw a lot of good from him in his, his abbreviated stint with Carolina before the the world ended. And I mean he he can skate, he can he can play in the offensive zone. I was questioning the trade and I'm still you know, we'll see obviously you when you're trading a first round pick you, you play the result on, on who the first round pick ends up being, who they develop into. So it's a long term type of trade. But I think Brady Shea can play, and I think that he's going to have a good playoff. Um, I, I I just I like him as a player. I, I think there's a lot more for him to give defensively, which hopefully that will happen as he gets more acclimated in Carolina. But yeah, I think uh, Morgan Geeky, Brady Shea are two guys that I think are going to look good. Andrew, I'm going to go with. It's a guy we've talked about already, and obviously he. I think he's going to have an impact because of the energy and enthusiasm and the volume that he plays with in an empty uh, arena. And that's Jordan Markham. But I <laughs> the loudest player. <laughs> I also think that um, Martin. We didn't see it as much this year because he was hurt a lot. But remember yeah. the year before that, Martinook scored a career high. I think. 16 goals yeah. maybe yeah, um, like, that. like he's a guy who can score he can provide depth scoring and like you get a few like i think he could be kind of similar to in terms of a bottom six guy that you get some unexpected production from to like warren fogel and last year's playoffs um you know you get some big goals from your fourth line in the playoffs that can swing things and i think martinook is a guy who's going to be fired up he's going to be ready he should be, you know, 100% at his full ability now. And I think that that's a guy who's going to have a couple really big moments in these playoffs if the Canes make a run. Yeah. And what's fun about that is if you're right, then we're probably also right because in all likelihood, it's going to be D.D. Martinuk on the same line um, to true. start. That's true. So <laughs> somebody's got to be getting those assists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, man, yeah, there's, there's, there's a few good options. I think Sammy Vatanen 
if he ends up playing with the way one. they've talked about him and finding an option for him to play with his power playability. Um, and again, the fact that if you remember, he's he'd been on a couple deep playoff runs with Anaheim, so he kind of knows what it's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another sneaky good one because we still haven't seen him play in a game. So, John Forslund? A lot of people ask about John Forslund. A lot of people. Yeah, we got a uh, few Twitter questions about John Forslund. About um, (laughs) surprising Tom Dundon eating babies or something like. No, I'm just kidding. But um, Mm -hmm. my favorite uh, last week, (laughs) you said, Andrew, you said that uh, when we were talking about the same subject, you said to play devil's advocate, and then you quickly followed up by saying, "I'm not saying Tom Dundon's the devil." I thought that was a very funny moment. I think there's definitely a person or two among our commenters, among commenters on other sites right now, um, among Kane's Twitter, that would not hesitate to call oh, Tom yeah. Dunn in the devil. Oh, yeah, absolutely. a handful. It was, it was a needed clarification on, on your behalf yeah. because there are people who think that. I think it's a tragedy. I, you know, I think Forslund... He's been the oh, you can say he's the face of the franchise almost mm-hmm. with the the drought and all that. He's just been here since Hartford, just a play play one of the best play by play voices in hockey, in sports in general. John Forsland's been through it all. It's you know it's it's a tragedy is what it really is. I mean, there's no other way around it. Losing him is just a big hole. But I mean, I think Mac Maniscalco, Brendan Warren himself said it. He's a hurricane. The guys love him. I think as long as the fan base doesn't direct their anger towards him i feel like because maniscalco wants to succeed and he loves the team so i feel like you know as long as you know the fans aren't you know taking that anger out on maniscalco for filling in that hole he didn't gun for you know forzen's job or anything he's just next man in line type of thing well and brett and i went over a lot about our feelings about john forzlin and what he means to the fans and the team last time and i don't really want to rehash that i will say again um there are under, there are things to be understood on both sides here. I mean, Tom Dundon has his philosophy um, of spending on the on-ice product and finding value elsewhere. And so far in his tenure as owner, I would think that that's been very successful. And, you know, this is a pandemic and tough decisions have to be made. And we don't know what exactly John was asking for and how wide that gap might have been. But the one thing I want to say, um, and Ryan just touched on this with Maniscalco, Brett made the comment last time that being John Forslund's replacement was going to be a really tough job because the fans are going to be pissed off about Forslund and looking to jump on any mistake, anything remotely that they perceive as wrong that the new guy does. I think Mike Maniscalco is the one person who has a chance to not have that happen because he is... Not probably not as beloved by this fan base, but as John and Tripp, but he has been a part of this for so long, even before he joined the um, TV when he was on the radio side doing the aftermath every week, during doing the aftermath during the week, every week, taking fan callers after games during some very dark times for this franchise. Um, So I think, and I think he can do a good job. Like I thought he did, I thought he did a good job last year when he did the radio calls in the Islanders and Bruins uh, series when Forslund was on NBC. And I think, or maybe it was just the Islanders series and Forslund came back for the Bruins series. But either way, 
I think he can do a good job. I think the fans love him. And I think that's your guy that has a chance to not be a target for the Forsland anger, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Maniscalco is such an awesome person and you, it's tough when you're looking at it because you know, you, you, you want to see him do so well and I think he will. And I think you make a really good point about how he's the only one who has a chance because He's been around for a long time, too. His voice has been very much on this team, less from a national standpoint, very much more from a local standpoint. And I think people love him and respect him a lot. Andrew, we got a uh, request from our good friend, Jake C., asking yeah. how the Canes would match up in a potential series rematch against the Boston Bruins. I'll, I'll clarify. Jake does not have anything he's a uh, he's a close friend of ryan and i's we all worked together at technician and he's a diehard boston bruins fan so dare i say that jake might be trolling a little bit here but i mean like i think it's a good question like because if the canes beat the rangers and you look at the top four teams that are playing for seeding um brian and i figured out the other day that unless montreal beats pittsburgh in which case the canes would play the four seed from the round robin They'll play the three, but I mean, the Bruins are one of four possible first round matchups. And personally, I think they're the worst potential first round matchup the Hurricanes could get. They're just so deep, so good, so physical. I mean, you look at what they have with that Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak line. You look at the depth behind them. You look at Tuka Rask and Nett and the way he just, I mean, totally stymied the Hurricanes in the conference finals last year. Um, you look at what they have on defense. I would say I would rather play them in a first round series when you're fresh than I would in like the conference finals when you've already got some of that playoff wear and tear and attrition. But of the four teams that the Hurricanes could potentially play, that would be my last choice. And we're going to defy Jake's wishes here. Brett, how do you feel about a Kane? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Right. Yeah, it's nothing to take away from the Hurricanes. I mean, I think the Hurricanes are a deep team too. I think the Hurricanes oh, yeah, are great. Definitely. I think it would. I think it could be a series that goes either way. I don't think it would be a Bruins sweep by any means. No. You just. It's just like. It's like you look at them and you want to be scared of them almost because they were the Presidents Trophy winner with their deadline acquisitions of getting Kasha and Richie. You know, just adds to their wing depth. You know, because you can now have the second line of DeBrus, Krejci, and Kasha, which just makes it a lot harder to deal with. And then Richie adds a lot of physicality. And then even then the two, the players before that, they had a coil and he's still around and it's just, they're just a tough team to play. And Rask, it just has an ability to steal series, but I feel like the Canes are much better team this year than they were last year. And by no means, I will, I think it'll be sweet. I think it'll be, a, if they do end up playing, it could be a six, seven game series. And I feel like either team can come out on top. I feel like, the Bruins are one of the better teams just with their playoff experience and their physicality and the fact that we everyone knows that they can produce in the playoffs. Like the Lightning is still the question mark. Uh, the Capitals, everyone knows they're still like there. It's still the same level, but I feel like the Bruins and, you know, the Flyers, nobody can count them out. They're just this huge wild card, you know, dominance all of a sudden. But I feel like the Bruins are probably the worst matchup because I feel like they're one of the yeah. best teams still. Yeah, of all the teams, like Tampa, Washington, Pittsburgh, Philly, all those teams, 
I definitely think Boston's the worst matchup. I think Carolina could take two games. Um, and, you know, it's it's the postseason. You never know. So maybe maybe two games turns to three games, and three games turns into a series win. You never know. Yeah, I'll say it. Canes in four. Wow. So there you have it. <laughs> Up yours, Jake. From Jake um. to Jay. Where is Natchez? This is a this is a bit of a what you're allowed to say type of thing. Uh, Martin Natchez was not at camp practice the first day. People were like, "Oh no, where is he? Is is something wrong?" He ended up being back the second day, and really, what this comes down to is the team isn't allowed to give specific reasons as to why players aren't at the training camp 2.0 bubble. I think the term is unfit to play. Um, yes. And that's as much information as they can give with regards to absent players at this time. But in Nature's yes. case, where was he? Uh, he was on the ice the next day. So Yeah. Where was he Monday? We'll never know. That's not a question we're going to have the answer to. I think it's, um, it's kind of interesting to think about because you know normally you reveal injuries like and obviously the reason they're not revealing anything is because if you say what anything else is and then you no comment if someone has covid well then obviously people are going to know that they have covid but i think the thought is at least part of it maybe at least is there's kind of right now like if you get covid I think there's a little bit of a stigma like, oh, well, yeah, well, maybe you went to the bar or you went out and didn't wear a mask or didn't social distance. And like you might have gotten it because the idiot in line behind you at the grocery store didn't wear a mask or doesn't know how to read the six foot markings on the floor. Um, <laughs> so I think it's a, hey, man, I think tough a lot of that is know? probably a perception. They're confusing. Thing. Reading comprehension is confusing. Or, you know, can't can't understand the gigantic arrows pointing for you to go one way up and down the aisles. I mean, it's really up for your own interpretation, really, those arrows. It's tough sometimes. Um, (laughs) The last question. Matthew Sama on Twitter asked for Andrew's reaction to the announcement of the Bad Batch Star Wars series that will premiere on Disney+. Plus in 2021 i am extreme and i'm brad i know you're a star wars fan as well so feel free to chime in here i'm extremely excited um the last season of star wars the clone wars directed by dave filoni um the show was canceled a while back and revived for one final season on Mm -hmm. disney plus was absolutely phenomenal i will call it hands down the best star wars content that has been released since disney took over the franchise it was so good and there were a couple episodes about like a um special clone force with genetic mutations called the bad batch Mm. that kind of made them like enhanced soldiers almost is really cool and they announced they're coming out with a new series um centered around them set post revenge of the sith and i think i think it's going to be really good i mean any in a time when new star wars stuff ends up being very controversial anything with dave filoni's name on it is definitely your best bet and i think um a tv show about clones directed by dave filoni 
if anything can cure us from our 2020 blues, it's that. Well said. God, I'm so excited. It's going to be so good. <laughs> the final season of Clone Wars was so absolutely crazy. Um, we could do an entire podcast yes, talking about that season. I would love that. Um, <laughs> I wonder what the uh, the crossover audience there is. Uh, I'm assuming not very big. So, um, or maybe I think Americans do Star Wars Day. You know, there's yeah, always they, that promotion. I remember. I think Matt would listen. <laughs> yeah, Matt would listen. We we could have him on. Shout out Matt. I mean, we can have him on, and we can talk about Star Wars for for several hours. Um, also. Before I talk more about Bad Batch, my favorite Star Wars night memory in Hurricanes history is last year, Star Wars night, I was at the game covering it, Nino Niederreiter's debut against the Ottawa Senators, Star Wars night. They lost 4-1, to one, and after I the game... Also, I was also at that game. And also, then you will remember that Rob Brindamore said after the game that he apologized to Nino Niederreiter after, That's right. because of how bad they played. That's my they favorite played. Star Wars night memory. Because that was like, because Ottawa was a terrible team. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, too, being disappointed um, because that was the first year of the Storm Surge that we didn't get to see any kind of Star Wars-themed Storm Surge because they lost. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) an interesting Star Wars note. Um, But back to Bad Batch. Man, they they said they're going to be mercenaries trying to find their way after Revenge of the Sith. It's just it sounds, it just sounds like a great time, and I'm glad you feel the same way about Dave Filoni that I do, um, or that I feel. He is, he is everything to Star Wars right now. Like he should be making all the decisions about content, creative stuff. Oh yeah, he is brilliant. Give that man the keys. Yes, like him. If if his name's attached to it, if John Favreau's name is attached to it, yeah, just... I feel really good about it. And Dave Filoni's executive producing the show. And this is, you know, this is Clone Wars. This is, in a lot of ways, uh, his baby. Um, I'm sure he'll find a way to get Ahsoka in there at some point. Um, Somewhat kidding. I mean, mean, it's Dave Filoni. You can't have a Dave Filoni TV show without Ahsoka. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I mean, the the Mandalorian only went one season without it. And now the rumors are that. That's going to change. Now, like, all of Dave Filoni's original characters are coming to the Mandalorian, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Which I will, I will, I called Clone Wars Season 7 hands down the best Disney con- Star Wars content, and I still think it's the best, but the Mandalorian is yes. right there. You yeah. mentioned John Favreau. Yeah. If you guys could have another Star Wars series focused on, like, not necessarily a main character from, like, the Skywalker saga, but, like, mm-hmm. Or extended, maybe. Who would you choose? Ahsoka. Um, I'd probably say Ahsoka. I think she her journey is really interesting. Also, I want to one day. I want to see them go to the old republic. Um, that's just me, though. Yeah, that. I, I want to think... see Great Admiral Thrawn. I just yeah. I'm a Legends nerd. I think I think that would be so cool. Well, Ryan, you know, um, was they the brought. Rebels. Yeah, that Star Wars Rebels series that Dave Filoni did, they actually did bring Grand Admiral Thrawn in as like working for the Empire. So, um, mm-hmm. so you would you do have some Thrawn content out There's there? There's some Thrawn content. Yes. I just need that focus on him because he just had yeah. he like was Emperor at one point according to one of the books. That's yeah. right. There's so much great Legends content that I hope that they 
kind of bring into canon. Is this a Star Wars podcast? <laughs> Can it be forever? You know, you know, we the, could, yeah. the, the jerk scum. Maybe the, yeah. the crossover podcast. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like Mar- it's like yeah. we did all our theme weeks at SB Nation, but we never did a Star Wars week. Yeah, what was that? Get Steph on the phone right now. We we need to yeah. We need to talk. We need to have a long yeah, talk. We, gotta, yeah. we need a, We need to, We need this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's a podcast. I think this is a good time. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening to the Kings Country podcast. Uh, please rate the podcast, review the podcast, uh, only say great things about it. Because uh, if you say anything bad about it, you'd be lying and you don't want to be a liar. That'd be terrible. Um, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to the Kane's Country Podcast. And if you have Twitter, you can follow all the people here. Ryan, thank you for being on this week. Where can the people follow you on Twitter? Thanks for having me. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-K-E-L underscore. Somebody has the non-underscored name but that is you can you can find me on twitter there i cover the canes been doing training camp splitting with andrew and i put out you know content that i write for canes country too on there it's all very good it's all very very good um andrew you can find me on twitter at a-s-c-h-n-i-t-t-5-3 brett thank you for not attempting to give out my address this week (laughs) I never attempted. I was just, you know. Well, it's like he was going to. I was well, just, last, I was just no, suggesting that maybe. Like, <laughs> he, he was like, where? He was like, where can they find you on Twitter and elsewhere? And I gave my Twitter, and I was like, where else do you want them to find me? I, I, you know, you put me on the spot. I mean, I didn't know. I, you know, you put me on the spot. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe give him your address if, if that's something. And then, you know, I respect your decision to not do that. Um, <laughs> Definitely not during, you know, the pandemic time. You can't have people over. Yeah. Well, especially especially during this time. It's, you know, it was irresponsible on my behalf, and I apologize. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore finger. Uh, You can follow Canes Country at Canes Country on Twitter. Read the site. Listen. Review. Rate the podcast. And we're going to see you next week because we're going back to once a week because things are happening and they're happening fast. We'll talk to you then. Bye.